0: So, today we are going to take a gander at the gift, the gifts of exhortation and leadership. We're going to get into more detail about what they are, but but let's start with this perspective. Without leaders, we don't know where we're going. Right. When we follow people, we follow them to where they're going, but if we take our eyes off of the one we're following, bad things happen. The Mississippi River starts in Itasca State Park in north very north-ish Minnesota. I have been there, and I got to swim in the headwaters of the Mississippi, which is kind of fun. It's not really, it's just a little creek. It's not actually fun at all, but it's interesting to say. But before we got to where we were biking, we were ride, or where we were swimming, we were riding bikes. And I was riding, and I, I am a very cautious, careful person, said no one ever about Brock. I was biking, probably going as fast as I thought I could go, easily on my bike, and I made a critical error I looked to see who was behind me. And in looking to see who was behind me, I hit a stick. I don't know how big the stick was, but it was big enough that it messed me up. So it kicked me off the line that I was intending to ride on, and all of a sudden, before I knew it, I was off the trail and hit a tree. All because I let my vision, what my perspective, go to what was behind me, not what was ahead of me. That's the commonality in both exhortation and leadership. They are both pointing forward to a place. Uh, they're going to do it in different ways. The people with the gift of leadership will look different than the people with the gift of exhortation, but they will both be going forward to a common end. That common end is twofold. It is knowing Christ, and as you know, Christ making him known to people. So it's growing and outreach. It's personal development and kingdom growth. How do we understand these the best way possible? Well, Philippians chapter 3, this is not our main text for the morning, but we're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, looking at verses 13 and 14, and it's a picture of what leadership does or should help us do. In verse 12, he says, basically, hey, I'm not perfect yet. Okay, that's the preface to this. I am not perfect yet. I know where we're trying to get, but I'm not perfect yet. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that must be the perspective that we take as we, as we lead, as we use our gift of leadership, as we use our natural gift of leadership, it always must be pointing forward to the goal of knowing Christ. And, and if ever we stop pointing there, then we're like Brock riding a bike seeing who's behind him. Disaster is just ahead. Hebrews chapter 12 is going to say a similar thing. You know probably the beginning of Hebrews 12, uh, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Looking, verse 2, looking to Jesus. Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Who? Jesus. The one that you're looking toward. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted pressing on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one that we look to keep our eyes on so that we don't grow weary, and we being we. It's true for the individual. Desperately true for the individual. Also true as we utilize the gift of leadership or the gift of exhortation to bring people to that end because both of these are always future forward looking. If we want to look closely at somebody's past, you know what we will find? Failure in every single one of us. We will find hurt in every single one of us. And if we allow ourselves to look back and focus on failure, to look back and focus on hurt, we will not achieve the end God has called us to. But what if we look back at our successes? What if we, what if we look back at all the times that we've done really well? You know what happens then? The same disaster because we're looking back at what we did really well, not where God is calling us in the future. Uh, Whatever happened back there, whatever happened in our past, is our past. I had an opportunity to have a conversation with a a swimmer last weekend, Um, while I could hardly speak, but he looked like he needed a conversation. So we had a, a short moment conversation where he told me he was really frustrated he had done poorly. And I just asked him, what can you do about the race you already swam? The answer is, nothing. It's over. But if he gets caught up in how he didn't do as well as he wanted in that race, the race is coming up, he's gonna do poorly in because he's gonna be focused on how he did poorly in his last one. If you're focused on how well you did in your first race and you forget that you still have to swim a second race, you're gonna not swim your second race well because you're focused on how well you did in the first race. Anytime we're looking backwards, we are not looking to where God is calling us, where Christ is leading us as individuals, as family units, but as a church as a whole. So now let's step back and let's take a look at the example of exhortation, what it is, and the example of leadership and what it is. To, to define the two out is relatively straightforward. Leadership is organizing and guiding people or organizations toward a common end. That's what leadership is. It's nothing more and it's nothing less. It is taking individual groups or a whole group of people and saying, let's move in this direction and organizing and guiding that movement. Exhortation, on the other hand, is taking individuals or groups of people, not usually organizations, I guess you could see it that way, typically individuals or groups of people and encouraging them toward that same end. You're not organizing it. You're coming alongside a person or a group of people and you're saying, hey, together, Let's move forward to look like Jesus. I'm going to encourage you, not in the sense of, boy, you look really nice today. We all want to hear that. That's nice to hear. But it's saying, here's an end that we can achieve together. Let's let's go there. That's exhortation. Encouraging people toward an end of benefit. Leadership organizing a group or an organization toward a common end exhortation. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. We're going to read it again so that we all have it memorized by the time we're done with this series. The encouraging of a person toward a particular end. We're going to look first at Hebrews chapter 3, second at Hebrews chapter 10 uh, to to pick up what this really looks like. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, and and brothers here is a a common term for people, right? Not men, men specifically, but people, particularly brothers and sisters in the faith, believers, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is, it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When we talk about Exhortation. Uh, We've already stated it, it, but it bears repeating. Exhortation in the scripture is not saying something to make someone feel good. Last week, I was sick, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And on Saturday, I felt like a normal human being again. But on Monday, I was not doing well. In fact, I showed up to church for a meeting that I felt like I had to be at because meetings can't take place unless I'm there, right? I mean, I'm the most important. No, it could have gone just fine without me, but I wanted to be there. So I showed up and I ran into somebody and this person was sitting in the library. I can't tell you who it was, but his name is John. Mata, it's pronounced right, Mata, okay. (laughs) That's that's how it's pronounced. I just making sure I had it right. And and he gave me a great compliment. He said, You look awful. <laughs> and what that really means is typically Brock you look pretty good, but right now you look really bad. I think that's what you meant, right? Yes, that's what he meant. <laughs> but he said, You look awful. And really that. Didn't bother me because you know what? I looked awful. Encouragement in this sense is not looking at somebody and saying, ooh, doesn't look too good, but you look really nice today. Or, Or if you hear Brock sing, you say, boy, I really like the sound of your voice. That's never been said before. And it's okay. But that's not exhortation. Exhortation is saying to somebody, you could be more like Jesus. Uh, together, we could move this direction. And together, we could become more like Christ. Me, you, this group, by doing these sort of things. Uh, and now you encourage somebody toward that end. Uh, but what we see here is that you're encouraging somebody ultimately to avoid the hardness of heart to avoid the deceitfulness of sin. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. End of verse 13, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is the antidote for that? It's the exhortation of fellow believers toward following Jesus. Niceties don't get people away from these problems. Truth and exhortation, the taking of truth and encouraging somebody toward the end of following it, living it out, believing it, acting like it, understanding it, being it, teaching it. That leads people away from the hardness of heart, the deceitfulness of sin, because you have truth. Truth being spoken to you by people who are doing it for your benefit. Now, admonishment, as we talked about last week, is saying you have a problem. There is a sin here. Let's address the sin, correct it, and move on. Exhortation doesn't necessarily need a sin impetus, it needs a following Christ impetus. That's what drives it. It doesn't need an error, it just needs further moving. Uh, there's probably a word for this, but when we would bike, we did a lot of road biking growing up. And not always did I crash my bike into a tree, but we did a lot of road biking. And what I learned was if I wanted somebody to go faster, I learned this from my dad, if you went and put your bike ahead of them and then had them keep up with you, they would slow down. But, because like when you're riding side by side, I mean, but if you went just a half a wheel further ahead than they were, they caught up without realizing that they sped up. That's exhortation. Exhortation in this case is just saying, let's press a little bit harder, a little bit further, and I'm doing this and you're coming along with me doing this. I'm not doing it telling you what you should do. I'm not doing it saying that I have it all together. I'm just pushing forward a little bit further and you're keeping up with me. Not because you're berated over it, but because you're encouraged to continue. If we go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we get this. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And we're going to look at that word stir up in just a moment. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stirring one another up happens in what context? I mean, if we look at this, what is the context as the author of Hebrews writes this out? Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not what? Neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some which means the encouragement is happening where? Between individual relationships, you and a close friend while you're getting coffee? Yes, but not in this context. In this context, he's saying, don't neglect the gathering of believers, which is where this stirring up is supposed to happen. Now, back to this word to stir up. If I ever got a tattoo, which I won't because my wife isn't a fan, if I ever got a tattoo, it would say parexuseman. Yeah, it means a lot, doesn't it? Deep, deep meaning. It's this word to stir up. And in some respects, as a pastor, I see that as my job description. Because to stir up does not necessarily mean uh, what we think it means. We take this idea to stir up, and we have the idea of like mixing batter or something but it's really not. Uh, This word is very close to the word incite. And it's kind of the, the idea that it's driving toward. Agitate somebody toward an end. Incite a group of people toward what? Love and good works. But it's not just encouraging them in the sense that you're saying nice things and sort of moving them along. It's the coach blowing their whistle, telling you to get moving faster. To get moving harder, uh, to incite people toward an end that is love and good works, encouraging them, exhorting them to look like Jesus until he returns or we go home. That's what it is. You can do that as a natural gift. You can do that as a spiritual gift. Natural gifting is important. It's important for exhortation. It's important for leadership. It's important for teaching and prophecy and service and all of the others. Every gift we come to, the natural gift is valid. The spiritual gift is valid. But what does it look like to have the spiritual gift of exhortation? I'm reminded of my grandpa. Grandpa Bert was his name. Grandpa Bert had lots of stories, most of which he never shared with me particularly. I got to see him some, but not as much as I would have liked. But I get a lot of his stories from my parents, who obviously knew him very well. It's my mom's dad. He died when I was a junior in high school, I think. So I only had until then to get to know him. He had some fascinating World War II stories, he traveled with the Billy Graham crusade for a while or did things with them. I don't know if he traveled, but he was with them for a while. Uh, and my parents tell me a story. Or, or It's not really a story. It's more of a picture of who he was. He was the type of person who could sit down with somebody and tell them where they had not done as well as they should have. So in this case, I don't know if it's exactly admonishment or exhortation, but we're going to put it in terms of exhortation And he would sit down with them, explain how they could do better than they've done. And they would walk away saying, thank you so much. I don't have that gift. I have the gift of inciting people and riling them up, sometimes for a good purpose and sometimes potentially not. But my gift is not this sort of exhortation. That's okay. I don't need that gift. I can still encourage people. I can still build them up. I can still do all of those things but his gift worked in such a way as it resulted in so much more than it should have been. Whether you want to term it admonition or whether you want to term it exhortation, the result of this gift use was so much more profound than it should have been. And and his using of that gift cut through the defenses of people so that as he exhorted people to be like Jesus, as he exhorted people in whatever way it was, they were grateful for the challenge, grateful for the push, grateful for the, the word, the encouragement, grateful for what he did. And that's the spiritual use of that gift or the spiritual example of that gift, where the Holy Spirit goes and does more work than your word should be able to. Conversely, I have the natural gift of leadership. I know that sounds bad for people to say where they're gifted. There's something inside of us that's like, oh, that's pretty prideful. No, it's just honest. It really is. There there needs to be no pride in assessing where God has gifted you. There can't be because it's his gifting of you, not your being so great. But he's given me the gift of leadership, and I can know that because everywhere I've ever gone, people follow me. If you think you're a leader and nobody's following you, you are just out for a walk. John Maxwell. And it's true. You can be in the role of leadership, the role of leading people, and if nobody's following you, you're not leading. Conversely, you can be in no position of leadership, and people follow what you have to say and follow you as a person, and you're leading people. So while exhortation is this this encouraging people or groups of people toward a common end, toward following Jesus, leadership is organizing groups so that they can move forward in following Jesus as a group, as an organization. It's not just leading individuals, though leading individuals is important and needed, the gift of leadership is used for groups of people to organize them toward a common end or a common purpose. As we look at leadership, we're going to take a look at it. and both of, these, both of these two gifts have to be held in tension with Philippians chapter two verses three and four which says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Do not look to your own interests, but each of you look also to the interests of others. If we hold that intention, then whether you're exhorting people toward an end that we're all headed to or whether you're leading people toward an end that we're all headed to, it's all about what? They're getting there not your leading them. And as soon as a leader puts themselves or an exhorter puts themselves in the place of primary importance, guess where we're looking? We're looking back to see what we've done instead of looking forward to Christ to see where he is. Leadership, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, this is probably the best example of what leadership is, and it's not the example that's typically used. I guess I shouldn't say it's the best example. This is a great example of what leadership is within the body of believers. Imitate me or be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How was that an example of leadership? That leadership is supposed to be the strong, dominant personality driving people forward. But if we lead like that, we're not leading. We might be dictating. We might be forcing. We might be tyranting. It's not really a word. We could be acting as a tyrant but we're not leading. Not the way Scripture talks about. Scripture talks about there being servant leadership. We're going to look at that in a moment. The Scripture talks about about us being examples for people. Uh, Outside of the apostles, probably the ultimate or penultimate, one of that example of leadership is Timothy. We've talked about him before. Relatively young guy out leading a region of churches, eldering elders, pastoring pastors, appointing leaders in different towns so that those churches would be functional. He'd sort of have pastorship of the UP. Not exactly like that, because that's probably not the same distances, but that idea. Pastoring the UP. That is a leader right? Somebody who is leading not just a church, but a group of churches, the leaders of groups of churches toward a common end. And in, for everything we know, he did well. Paul was pleased with him. God was pleased with him. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. We're going to take this, this leader who is Timothy, And we're going to see what Paul tells him, at least in part, about how he is to exercise that gift of leadership. Let no one despise you for your youth. But, and this is where we miss it when we use this verse. We talk to high school students and we're like, oh, let no one look down on you because you're young. That's pish posh has nothing to do with whether you look down on somebody because they're young. If they deserve to be looked down on because they're not living like Jesus, then they should be viewed as somebody who's not following Jesus. But he says, don't let someone look down on you just because you're young, but set an example. Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So what is the leader supposed to do? to set an example to the people for how they are to be. And as you look toward your leaders, which in this church is the elders, as you look toward them, you should ask the question, do they do that? As you look toward future elders, you should ask the question, do they set that example? Are they going to be perfect? No. Can they set an example for what it looks like even in their imperfection? Yes. In your failing, can you show the example of humility? Yes. Can you show the example of contrition? Yes. That's this in faith, in life, in love, and in purity. Even when you break, you can show the example of who you are to be. That's a leader. And the spiritual leader, in that sense, the one who's gifted in that way, will more naturally take some of those roles to say, you know what? My goal is to be an example to people, not a demander of people. And so I'm going to set an example. Back to Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, the leader leading out of their gifting will say, it is about you, not me. I will fail at this, please know that. I am put in a position of leading certain things and I will fail at it, but the goal remains the same. The goal is to do what's best for the group. The goal is to do what's best for this body of people. Beyond that, what you'll see in a a true leader, somebody with the true natural gifting as Christ works in them, or the spiritual gifting, you'll find somebody who doesn't let other people take responsibility for things that ultimately fall to them. If a person or a group is ultimately in charge of something, and they even if they task somebody else, I'm going to use my dad as an example. My dad's an elder at his church, and he apparently got the role of being in charge of uh, over the, the like decorating whatever their terminology is for it. Don't laugh. He, my dad, is so much not. That's not him. He doesn't walk around saying, "Oh, I should paint walls, right?" But. The lady who is in charge of that is really good at it and he goes to her and she has questions and he tells her he wants her to make the choice, make the decision. She's gifted in that. But if anyone doesn't like it, they need to come talk to him because he's gonna take their dislike of a color or a whatever, not her. And if you know my dad, it's really convenient because he's imposing and scary And so you have to really, really not like something to go and tell him that you don't like something. So it all works out well. But no, he makes sure that she doesn't take the punishment for those decisions because it ultimately falls under his authority or their authority as elders handed to him in this particular instance. And that's what a leader does, must do, whether it's in the workforce, in your home, or in the church, a true leader following Christ will say, you are not going to be the one who takes the brunt of people's frustrations. I will, because even if it was your choice, I asked you to make the choice. So I'm gonna be the one that if people are unhappy, they could be unhappy with. Uh, the uh, spiritual gifting side, that person is going to not just take the beating from everybody else, They're going to be able to be there, hear that, keep their eyes focused on Jesus and say, oh, I get what you're saying. Now let's organize this better so that together we can move forward toward the common purpose that is knowing Christ, that is being like Jesus. That's leadership. Men, women, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. If that is not how you're leading If in your leading, you look for opportunities to hand off the responsibility of a choice to somebody else, stop. If in your leading, nobody's wanting to follow you, because the only people that make a leader are the followers, right? If there's no followers, there's no leading. That's that John Maxwell quote. So if you're leading people and they're not wanting to follow you or they're unwilling to follow you, ask why. Are we leading so that they know that we're leading toward Christ? Or are we making decisions and moving forward in such a way that it looks like we're working for our own best benefit? And if we're working toward our own best benefit, we've got the focus on the wrong thing. When we lead, when we utilize that gift, whether natural or spiritual, when we exhort, when we use that gift, whether natural or spiritual gift, we are always pointing people forward toward Jesus. If you don't have the gift of exhortation, you can still encourage. You can still help people move forward. If you don't have the gift of leadership, you're still going to be put in places where you're leading but if you have those gifts, utilize them in the best ways possible. Utilizing your exhortation to move people toward Jesus. Utilizing your leadership to organize the group toward Jesus. And when we do that, then those gifts. Rise out of people who have them. They can utilize them and nobody feels threatened by them because the leader isn't trying to take your role. They're just trying to help organize toward the common end. The exhorter isn't trying to, do, to usurp your authority. They're just encouraging people toward following Jesus. Nobody's belittling you. Nobody's saying you're, you're trash or garbage. We're simply saying, hey, None of us are quite adequate yet. Let's grow and become more like Jesus together. We move forward together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, for this opportunity to look at your word, to, to think about the gifts of exhortation and leadership. We pray, Father, that you would be honored and glorified, not just in our, our actions today, not just in our thoughts or, or in us just as individuals, but Father, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in us as a group, as a family, as a body of believers, that you would exhort us, that you would use our leaders to lead us so that together we would be more like Christ. It's in your name we pray, amen.